The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 312. If you want to move from being a manager to a leader, you've got to come up with a vision. The good news is you don't have to have charisma. You don't have to be clairvoyant. You don't have to be particularly gifted. Hello there and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I hope that you and your family are healthy and uh, social distancing and staying well through these um, unusual times we find ourselves in. My name, by the way, is Jeff Brown, and, and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I'm so glad that that's something we can continue to do no matter what's going on outside. The Read to Lead podcast is not only going to help you narrow this reading list, but also bring you each and every week key insights and main ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Today's guest is someone who has served as my virtual mentor for about a dozen years now. We're going to sit down with Michael Hyatt, author of the brand new book out today called The Vision Driven Leader. 10 Questions to Focus Your Efforts, Energize Your Team, and Scale Your Business. I'll ask Michael to share about how his vision for Michael Hyatt and company impacted how he and his team chose to address the coronavirus crisis and what you as a leader can learn from it. Understanding what characteristics make for an inspiring vision, how your vision plays into your strategy and even your productivity, and lots more. And be sure to stick around to the end of our conversation to learn how you can score over $600 in resources in conjunction with the launch of his brand new book. Michael Hyatt is the founder and CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, which helps leaders get the focus they need to win at work and succeed in life. Formerly the chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, he is also the creator of the Full Focus Planner and a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling author of several books, including Free to Focus, Your Best Year Ever, Living Forward, and Platform, a couple of which have been featured right here on this show. His work has been featured by The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, Business Week, Entrepreneur, and other publications. And his brand new book, the one we're talking about today, again, is called The Vision Driven Leader. Ten questions to focus your efforts, energize your team, and scale your business. Well, first of all, welcome back uh, to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. And you're, you're one of those authors to me, Mike. It's like Seth Godin, John Maxwell, you release a book and I'm buying it sight unseen. I don't care what it's about. I'm going to buy it because I know I'm going to learn something. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, I haven't mentioned this publicly, but I, I was fortunate enough to uh, agree to a, a book deal myself uh, with Baker earlier this month. And I mentioned that here because you've mentored me tremendously, whether you know it or not, virtually and otherwise over the last dozen plus years. And so when it comes to the acknowledgments in my book, I think your name's going to be at the top of the list. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. I'll tell you, I, I love publishing with Baker. They have been a fantastic publisher for me. Mm. Well, yeah, they've got a great reputation, so I'm very much 
uh, looking forward to it. Well, um, these last few weeks, Michael, I don't know that I've seen any leader company respond uh, to the crisis that's happening around us as well as uh, the team at Michael Hyatt and Company. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to sort of pull back the curtain on the last few weeks and kind of give us some insight as to what's been happening behind the scenes there. After all, your company is one that helps other leaders respond to these kinds of, of issues. Yeah, well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. on the Wednesday night that the president spoke to the country, addressed the entire country, you know, I've been hearing rumblings about the coronavirus. And in fact, even prior to that, we had sent our people home to work remotely. Mm-hmm. But there was something that dramatically shifted that night. But I was in the middle of our business accelerator coaching workshops. So just to kind of put this in context, once a quarter, I have about 400 plus clients that come into Nashville 50 at a time, meet with me for a full day, and then the next day it's another group, and then the next day another group, and so forth until we go through all of them. Mm. So that Wednesday night happened. The next Thursday morning, we knew that something major had shifted and that we had to respond to it. So as I was getting ready to go to my workshop that day with uh, about maybe 30 clients were going to be there with me that day because about 20 had canceled. I said to my content team about an hour before I was supposed to stand up in front and lead through some content on productivity. I said, you know, this just seems so disingenuous. It seems Hmm. not that relevant right now. We've got to pivot. So I got together with Joel Miller, who's my chief content officer, and we mapped out kind of a, a plan for the day. And he was literally that day, I was standing in front of the room, kind of doing one session, Mm -hmm. talking about how to lead through a crisis. And, you know, I've got a 40 plus year career. I've been through a lot of crises, including leading Thomas Nelson Publishers through the Great Recession. So there's a lot of content, a lot of things that I'd learned do's and don'ts in that period. And so, so I was up in front of the group and I was going through the content and Joel and his team, a graphic designer, were putting together exercises to take people through in their table discussions. But it was a phenomenal, phenomenal day. Mm-hmm. And we did the same thing again Friday. We tweaked it up. We worked you know, half the night, Thursday night, to just take the content to the next level. And our clients reported, you know, they came in scared, their hair was on fire. <laughs> they didn't know, you know exactly what to do to lead their organizations. But we gave them some frameworks and some structure and some ways of thinking about it that I think were hugely helpful. So we decided, we made the decision about Friday afternoon, about the middle of the day. We said, guys, we've got to put a course together. You know, we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We can't help with uh, with the virus. You know, we're not sitting at the federal level where we can help with the economy at that level. But what we can do is we can help the people we coach, the people that listen to the podcast, the people that are in our audience, most of whom are business owners or entrepreneurs, figure out how to lead through this and actually emerge from this crisis stronger than when they went into it. So we wrote all weekend. Mm. I got in the studio on Monday. I've got a a video studio in my home and I recorded eight modules on Monday and it was brutal. You know, it was just one right after another. Meanwhile, part of the team's working on a, on a workbook. They're working on some ancillary material. And so we had it ready to go to publish on Thursday. We completely also during that time wrote a, a, a new webinar called Confident in Crisis that to this day, we've had 15,000 people opt into and we're still doing it mm. almost every day. And so that 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 webinar gives some free training, but it also gives people an opportunity if they want to go deeper, they can purchase the course. So it's been crazy. Last week when we introduced that, you know, it was all hands on deck. This week we said, we cannot keep up this pace. We got to slow it down as an organization. And so we said to our team two, day, two days ago that we're going to go from a 40-hour work week to a uh, 30-hour work week because not only do we have to preserve, you know, our own personal health Mm. in the midst of this crisis, but our team's health 
and mental well-being. So that's kind of been the last two weeks. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea the links that you'd gone to to pull that off. But thank you for kind of giving us a sneak peek into that. The Vision Driven Leader is a book, obviously, that is that is quite relevant. I, I imagine you have found it to be even more relevant now. Vision drives everything, of course. But as we dive into some of the uh, 10 questions, the first one on the list asks whether you're a leader or whether you're a manager. What would you say, Michael, is the major difference between those two, first off? And how might someone who currently finds finds themselves in that manager role, how can they begin to, to make that transition to leader? Well, Jeff, one of the things I would say is, um, and just a little more peek behind the scenes, but, you know, as this crisis became a reality, one of the questions I asked was, is this book still relevant? Mm. And in fact, in near panic, I called a publisher and I said, can't we just delay this book? Because I don't want to be publishing in the midst of this crisis. And so the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, actually, we have to do it. That was a good thing because Baker told me, they said, no way we can pull it back. The books have already been shipped. And if we cancel it now, we've got thousands of orders at Amazon and they'll just cancel. Mm. So they said, you got to figure it out. So I said, okay. So I asked myself this question. And it's an important question for everybody that's in business today. And that is, why is my product or service even more relevant now than it was a couple of weeks ago or a mm. month ago? And so uh, as I thought about the Vision Driven Leader, I thought, man, this is way more relevant now. The timing couldn't be better because vision is the one thing that's going to get people through this crisis. So to your question, first of all, leading and managing are distinct functions. Often they're distinct roles in organizations, but they're both essential. Both leaders and managers are important, but, but here's a few ways they're different. So leaders create the vision. They identify the what. But managers execute that vision and usually in, for, in the form of strategy. So they're, they're responsible to come up with the how we're going as an organization to reach that vision. Leaders inspire and motivate. Managers maintain and administer. Leaders take risks while managers control risks. Leaders stay focused on the horizon, you know, what's next, what's out there, mm. while managers have their eye on short-term goals and objectives. Now, if you want to move from the role of manager to leader, and by the way, you don't have to be a business owner, you don't have to be an entrepreneur, you can be leading from any place in an organization. When I first discovered the process that I reveal in the book, it was when I was a mid-level manager at Thomas Nelson Publishers. Vision is essential at every level, because whether you're leading a department a division or an entire company, you've got to identify the vision or the destination of where you're taking this group of people. And if you want to, if you want to move from being a manager to a leader, you've got to come up with a vision. The good news is you don't have to have charisma. You don't have to be clairvoyant. You don't have to be particularly gifted. All you have to do is follow a simple process. And that's what I outlined in the book so that ordinary people, people like us, you know, can can become visionary leaders. And it's not something you can delegate. There was the former leader that you worked for who would say, hey, pull a team together and go off and do that vision thing for me, would you? <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly what happened to me. And I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the book, but the person that did that was my predecessor at Thomas Nelson, Sam Moore. And he's gone now. And, and Sam was tremendous at execution. Mm. And I mean, he built that company you know, basically from the ground up. I mean, the company had been in business since 1798, but he bought the American version of that uh, back in the 60s and, and scaled unbelievable heights with it. But it was all around execution. Hmm. But when it came to vision, he just didn't feel competent. He just didn't feel like, you know, he'd ever been taught that. And in fact, I couldn't find a single business school in the country that teaches vision. I could only find two books that talk about vision. Hmm. 
And so he gave me the responsibility. He said, look, I want you to, to lead this committee and I want you guys to find vision to figure it out because we're getting asked as a public company, what's our vision? Well, we came back with several drafts and he kept saying, eh, that's not it. You know, that's not it. <laughs> that didn't resonate with me. So it was just kind of a total waste of time. We never did get mm. to a vision until I became the CEO. And then that's when I unrolled and at, at scale kind of implemented this whole vision script system that I talk about uh, in the book. Mm. But it's got to start with you as a leader. It certainly can't end with you, but it's got to start with you. Other people will make it better. Other people will refine it. Ever, other people will take it, you know, flesh it out and take it to the next level. But it's got to start with you. And if it doesn't excite you as the leader, there's no no way else you're gonna no way you're gonna sell anybody else and get them enrolled in helping them to bring it into reality. And that whole starting with you process, Michael, does it not begin with you getting away, going off on your own somewhere, and figuring out what it is you want in the first place, right? Yeah, you know, one of the things that John Maxwell told me years ago, and I had the privilege of publishing uh, John for over a decade. He was one of my authors at Thomas Nelson. But one of the things he said to me when I, you know, he was kind of my informal mentor, and I was would ask him advice from time to time. And he would say, Mike, you have got to schedule think time. Mm-hmm. He said, the, the the more successful you become, the the more difficult it's going to be for you to take time to think. And all the breakthroughs that you're going to get in your business is going to come from you getting alone and thinking. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to a vision. You've got to schedule it. What gets scheduled gets done. And so what I advise and what I practiced in a lot of different contexts is getting away for that that initial vision draft for a day. And again, in the book, I walk you through the process. By the way, I talk about this in my book, Living Forward, when you're talking about doing it as a life plan, get away for a day, get a vision for your life. This is the same thing at an, at an organizational level is take a day and think through the process that I outline. And if you do that, you will emerge not like Moses coming down from <laughs> you know Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, but with a, a rough draft, wet cement that you can take to the next level of your, of your leadership or maybe even your own entire team if you don't have a leadership team, but to take it to the next level and be able to say, look, guys, I've been doing some thinking about our future. Here's kind of a draft of what I see. Give me your input because there's probably things I've missed, probably things that could be said better, but I need your input so that we collectively agree on the destination where we're headed. Mm. You mentioned a moment ago that that some leaders can struggle with this. You talked about, Sam, understanding vision, giving enough attention to vision. Uh, I found your four characteristics for an inspiring vision very helpful here. Can you can you unpack those for us? Yeah. So four characteristics of an inspiring vision. First of all, what isn't, not what is. Mm. So what you need is something that's not incremental, you know, something that's a, a slight improvement that you can imagine over your current situation, but something that's more toward exponential, something that forces you and your team into the discomfort zone. When you get into your discomfort zone, that's going to command your best thinking it's going to ignite your imagination. That's where real innovation is going to happen. And so in the book, I give the example of Uber, you know, the, the two co-founders of that mm. standing in Paris looking for a cab and just said, you know, what if we could reimagine this? What if we didn't have to stand out here trying to wave down a cab and go through all the hassle that we go through of having to pay the cab, you know, at the end and all that stuff? What if this could be done with an app? Well, they totally revolutionized transportation. Mm-hmm. You know, I when I travel, back in the day when I used to travel, uh, <laughs> but I always prefer Uber. You know, they changed everything. Mm. So that's the first characteristic. It's got to be about what isn't, not what is. And then secondly, it does have to be exponential, not incremental. So this just kind of takes it to the next level. So iPhone is a good example of this. When Steve Jobs 
stood up and I remember that first, you know, keynote that he gave on that. Did you watch that by the by chance? I did. Yeah, it was so amazing when he talked about pulled that out of his pocket and, you know, started showing that off. And I remember one of the things that he talked about was, you know, this wasn't going to be a, a slight improvement over the phones that we had at the day. And in fact, people made fun of him. Mm. Even people like um, Steve Ballmer, who was the head of <laughs> Microsoft, said, you know, this is a stupid idea. You know, I'll give them a year before they fold this division. And of course, Microsoft that was never able to successfully launch a mobile uh, device. But one of the things that Steve said is we're not looking for a better keyboard. We're looking for no keyboard. And we're going to use your finger as the pointer. I mean, it was it was exponential. Third characteristic is that it needs to be risky, but not stupid. Okay, <laughs> so this is one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs have. But we're all about, you know, taking risks, but they got to be manageable. So an example of this I talk about in the book is when we created a product at Michael Hyden Company, the Full Focus Planner. That was something that was risky because we were going to have to in, uh, invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in buying inventory, mm. having the planner manufactured, all the stuff that's involved in moving from what at that time we were a completely online business to now having a physical product, having a contract with a, you know, a, a shipping company to distribute it and all the rest. But it was a calculated risk because I have a lot of people in my company that came from the book publishing world. We had some expertise. It was risky for sure, mm. but it wasn't stupid. And then finally, last characteristic, what, not how. In other words, you, you can't ask yourself the question when you're formulating vision, but how are we going to do that? People get to the how too fast. You've got to get to the how eventually, but there's a difference between the what and the how. The what is the vision. The how is your strategy. The fact is, your vision should remain, you know, relatively constant, but your strategy, and boy, we know this right now in the midst of this coronavirus, it's going to have to shift a lot. You know, the destination might not change, but the way that you get there could be vastly different today than from, you know, what it was a month ago. And I use the example there of the Wright brothers. And the Wright brothers are a great example because these guys had a vision for manned flight. And even though there were other organizations out there that were better funded, organizations that were sponsored by the federal government, organizations that were given money to develop it, these were just a couple of guys that basically ran a bicycle repair shop, <laughs> but had a vision that compelled them to, to the place where they finally were the ones that had the breakthrough and created man flight. And of course, the rest is history. You talked about risky, not not stupid. In regard to the planner, obviously, that was risky not stupid in hindsight, but you had a lot of people at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, trying to convince you that that was not a good idea. Did anyone ever uh, succeed at getting you close to, hey, this is not a good idea, or, or did you just stick to your guns? Obviously, in the end, you did, but were you, were you ever in doubt? Well, I, was, I will say this. At the, at the beginning, when my guys brought me the idea, because it was their idea, you know, it was uh, actually Joel and Mike's idea on my team. And so they brought it to me. And I just said, having been in the pub publishing business, there's a lot about the publishing model, business model mm. that I absolutely hate, <laughs> you know. And so I had kind of been vaccinated against that. <laughs> right. And I love the online business because you don't have inventory. You don't have accounts receivable. You don't have to deal with retailers. You don't have all this stuff. So that was kind of affecting my framework. But once I got past that, I said, OK, well, what if we pre-sell these so we don't have to have accounts receivable. And if we manage the inventory and maybe we can hire somebody, you know, that, that's got experience with this. So we don't, we can take the risk out of that. Then I started to get excited. But then I, when I got into the marketplace, that was hilarious. <laughs> so I had all these people saying, you know, on our Facebook ads and still to this day, I still get this, mm. you know, people will say, yo, 
It's 2020. <laughs> you know, we have digital devices. We don't need physical planners. Right. You know, uh, 1999 is calling and they want their planner back. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but all, we've sold a half a million of them. So I, I think it's worked. <laughs> it's worked out okay. <laughs> More than half of our business today. Wow. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Well, what about making your vision practical? How does it tie to strategy, Michael, or even uh, productivity? Yeah. The key thing about a vision is that it, um, it does a couple things that are essential. So one of the things you do need in an organization is execution. You know, this is like the holy grail. Everybody struggles with execution. Everybody gets frustrated because their team doesn't execute. There seems to be a lot of sideways energy. Maybe people are busy, but they're not all rowing in the same direction. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating. That's because you don't have alignment. And alignment is essential so that everybody's rowing together sequentially. You know, think about it in a boat and rowing toward the same destination. So execution presupposes alignment, but alignment presupposes vision. Your job as a leader is to identify the destination and say, this is where we're going. Once you have that, you can align the team, enroll them in achieving that vision, and then you can drive execution. And at a practical level, that vision becomes a filter. It helps you to differentiate between distractions and opportunities. And so, Jeff, one of the things that happens is the more successful you become, the more opportunities start coming your way. And they can swamp you. They can overwhelm you. And oftentimes, distractions show up at your doorstep masquerading as opportunities. Mm. But they're really distractions. But without a vision, you don't know which is which. But when you have a vision, you can say, okay, that's outside the scope of our vision. No, that's perfect. That fits exactly within our vision. So the way it works practically is it links strategy and productivity. So let me give you a couple of examples here. So you've got a vision script, and that's, by the way, the term I use in the book, not vision statement, but a vision script, a three to five page document that's written out that's more robust Mm. than a vision statement could ever possibly be, but it becomes a guiding document for your organization. That will inform your annual plan. So if I've got a, a vision script where I've stood in the future, metaphorically, so to speak, and I've described in the present tense what I see three to five years out. Then when I go into the strategic planning process or the annual planning process, I can say to my team, okay, given our vision script, what needs to happen this year? Helps us, you know, informs the uh, SWOT analysis, Mm. you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. It informs our strategic priorities. It informs our goals for this year. It informs, you know, the budget, everything. That annual plan then gets distilled down into quarterly goals. I know you use the full focus planner, so you know the the drill. So then into quarterly goals, you know, if your annual plan is your seven to 10 goals for the year, your quarterly goals are your two to three goals for this quarter, then down to your weekly objectives, and then down to your daily tasks. So that's how you connect, or that's the linkage between the vision, the strategy, and your daily productivity. And a vision makes all that possible if it's practical. Makes it easier to say, heck no or heck yes. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Well, Michael says the surest test of your vision is whether you can sell it to your uh, key stakeholders. And you mentioned, I think it was Joel and Mike selling you on the planner, for example. What goes into selling your vision inside and outside the company? Well, the first thing you got to do as a leader, you've got to make sure that you're sold on the vision. You know, if you're not sold, you're not going to be in a place where you can sell anybody else. And the most difficult person to sell is usually yourself. Mm. I mean, I feel like I can sell anything as long as I'm sold on it. 
once I get sold on it, then I can roll other people. So you got to ask yourself the question, is this a future that gets me excited? And it needs to be a future that's bigger than better or superior to the present. This is why it's got to start with you as a leader, because you can't enroll anybody else unless you bought in yourself. So selling starts with you. You want to sell not on your heels, but on your toes, leaning into it. Once that happens, there's going to be a lot of people that you got to sell, starting with your inner circle. So your leadership team, the people that you're counting on. If you're very small, if you're a solopreneur, you know, it may be selling yourself, maybe selling your spouse, maybe you're selling your business partner or a co-investor or somebody else. But it begins with you, then it's got to roll out to the next level, whatever that may look like. People that have bigger teams, there may be a leadership team. Like when I first did that at Nelson Books, which is one of the divisions at Thomas Nelson, I came back with a draft of my vision script and I got together the three or four, I can't remember now, but the three or four executives that reported to me. And I said, guys, this is wet cement, but let me tell you why I'm excited about it. (laughs) And so I began to sell them. So I was enthusiastic. I was very clear. And I talked about how to make it clear and concrete in the book. And I shared it with them. They started to get excited. Then we sold it to the whole team. And then beyond that, you may have to sell it to your board of directors. You may have to sell it to investors. You may have to sell it to customers. But you kind of practice the process of cascading communication. So start with you, move to the next circle out, then the next circle and the next circle. But you want to keep alignment in all those presentations. Well, you've written a great deal, Michael, about uh, resistance over the years. What for you are, are the keys to beating resistance as it relates to, to vision? Yeah, well, you know, anything that's worth doing is going to be opposed, right? <laughs> right. So uh, this is a lesson that I picked up from Stephen Pressfield, mm-hmm. you know, his book, The War of Art. Right. And so, so there is this idea of resistance. Anytime you're going to propose a change, anything, anytime you're going to propose an improvement, there's going to be some resistance to that. So you've got to just, you know, be ready for it. So first of all, don't be surprised when that happens. It, it pretty much happens at every stage along the way when you're trying to move to a different kind of reality. And that's where I think it, it really requires, first of all, tenacity. You've got to be willing to continue to move forward, even in the face of opposition. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you were, you know, we were talking about the, the crisis at the beginning of this interview and how we had turned out this course uh, in record time. But there's been some resistance. We've got some heat in social media because, again, we're not doctors, we're not nurses, we can't help people at that level, but we dispense leadership advice and we believe we could help people at that level. But there were people naturally that said to us, you know, you're tone deaf, you need to shut it down, I can't believe you're exploiting this crisis, that kind of stuff. And so what I said to the team is I said, you know what, if we're not getting that kind of resistance, then we're not trying hard enough. We're not doing it right. So there's going to necessarily be resistance when you've got a vision. There are going to be people that have a different view of the future. And you just have to realize that, but you've got to persevere. You can't fail if you don't quit. <laughs> One of my favorite chapters uh, asks the question, is it too late? And, and Michael curates a, a who's who of companies that have zagged uh, fairly majorly. Michael, talk about some of the different kinds of zags companies can make that can take them to, to new heights. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. So like it, it's it's I, t- I talk about the life cycle of a corporation or the life, life cycle of a business. And you go through a lot of different stages in the life cycle. So for example, startup and then an organization that's beginning to rise and get traction and then transitioning from kind of that startup and early stage to a more mature company. 
But then if you're not careful, then you get sort of on the backside of the curve and you become kind of a legacy company where you weren't quite what you used to be, but you're still, you know, you got enough momentum to continue to operate. Like Microsoft for years mm. was that kind of legacy company. You know, they had such an enormous installed base <laughs> that even though they weren't innovating, even though they, they had lost the imagination of their customers, they were still doing pretty well and continuing to generate cash. But if you're not careful, that can quickly deteriorate into a zombie company where you've, you're kind of, you know, the walking dead. You're, you know, it's just a matter of time before you are dead. And so then you can get to the stage where you are, in fact, dead. So in all those different ones, I talk about different companies that illustrate those. I think one of the most interesting ones to me is the dead corporation. Because you think to yourself, mm. how could you zag in a situation like that, mm. and how could vision, you know, raise the dead? You know, how could it resuscitate a dead company? And one of my favorite stories is the story of this little company called Tiny Spec. They had created this gaming platform that just never really took off. But they had also created an internal messaging system that they thought after they basically went bust, they said, I wonder if we repackage this, because this was an amazing part of our company. We were able to communicate internally in a way that we haven't seen elsewhere. What if we repackaged that and marketed it and sold it to companies as an internal messaging system and as an alternative to email? Yeah, not like that idea because I, I hate email. Well, that, <laughs> that company became Slack. Hmm. Slack now has 85,000 companies using it worldwide, including mine. I, I just looked, was it yesterday or maybe the day before? But I looked at their valuation, even in the midst of, midst of the crisis, the company's worth $15 billion, with a B wow. dollars. So that, that's a, a, a great story of resurrection. But the point is, it's never too late. Vision is the thing you need at every stage. You need it as a startup. I'll give the example of uh, Airbnb and YouTube at that point. You need it when you're rising and when you're beginning to get traction. I talked about Instagram and Starbucks in the book. When you're transitioning, when you're mature, like Apple and Amazon are now, they still got to have vision because they don't want to sink back in or they don't want to sink into that sort of that legacy stage and then the zombie stage. And then when you're a legacy organization like Microsoft, and I love what the new CEO of Microsoft has done with the company in the last uh, couple of years. I think they've completely changed the trajectory of their company as a result of a renewed vision. I know you've got a, a lot of great resources tied to purchase of, of the book. Talk about uh, what folks will find at visiondrivenleader.com. Yeah, so if you go to visiondrivenleader.com slash read, we've actually produced a set of bonuses specifically for your audience, Jeff. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so you're going to get a lot of uh, bonuses. All you have to do is, first of all, buy the book anywhere better books are sold. So right now, where a lot of bookstores aren't open, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, for sure an online retailer. Save your receipt and come back to visiondrivenleader.com slash read. And here's what you're going to get access to. First, you're going to get the clear vision cheat sheet, which basically takes everything in the book and boils it down to seven specific steps that you can take to create your vision. Then depending on how many copies of the book that you buy, because you may want to buy this for your teammates, mm -hmm. you may want to buy it for your clients or customers, vendors, friends, whatever. But if you order one to nine copies, you'll also get free with the book, the audio book, The Vision Driven Leader, which is me reading the entire book. It's a $25 value. You get a free copy of the free to focus ebook. So that's a $25 value. Mm -hmm. You get live vision coaching with me that's going to be starting April the 7th in a private community. 
the vision sharing guide, how to get your team on board, a 2020 vision kit, which has a guide with quotes, tips, and ideas to help you have an unobstructed vision of what's possible, and then a $10 gift card to the Full Focus store. So if you've been wanting to buy the Full Focus planner, this is a $10 incentive toward that. Again, all that's free for buying one to nine copies. If you buy 10 copies or more, though, you also get a, all the everything I've said before, but then a $50 gift card to the Full Focus store, a vision coaching call with one of our business consultants where they'll evaluate and give you input on your vision script, and a recording that I did of a live half-day vision training session. Wow. So that's those are the bonuses. <laughs> now, that's a lot. That is awesome. I had no idea it was that much. That's incredible. And I had no idea you'd created a page just for our audience. So thank you for that. That's how much we love your show. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I think I've heard you say or, or have written in the past that when it comes to reading, you read not so much thinking about you know, retaining what you read as much as you read often to influence your thinking. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? Totally. Yeah, okay. I want to stimulate my own creativity. I'm looking for the raw material, the raw fodder. So I don't, I don't care if I can remember. So I don't read for recall. I read for a lot of other reasons. Hmm. Well, what have you read recently in the last maybe, say, few months that has left an impression on you to the point that it's something that you know is, is, you're going to go back to uh, again and again in the future? Yeah, one of the books that I just finished that I absolutely loved was The, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Have you read that? I have not, no. It's a, it's a very Christian book. So, you know, for people that are listening to this that are allergic to that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> this may not be for you, but it's still got a lot of great, great content in it. And another one is, um, why are we yelling? You know, it's about civil discourse. And I think it's, you know, particularly important in the environment that we live in today. So that book had a, you know, huge impact on me as well. Can I give another one? Oh, absolutely. The more okay. the area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because your, your show's about reading, right? So um, this book sounds kind of odd for me because I don't consider myself a life coach. I'm a business coach. Mm. But uh, this is a book called Becoming a Professional Life Coach by Patrick Williams and Diane Menendez. Mm. The reason I'm mentioning their names is there's a couple different books by the same title. But Becoming a Professional Life Coach, the thing I loved about that book is it's almost like a textbook. But I had my entire coaching team listen to this because we offer not only group business coaching, but one-on-one -on -one business coaching. Mm. And I said, guys, this is the best book I've read on how to ask powerful questions and lead people in powerful conversations. Mm -hmm. Thank you for those suggestions. I have not read any of those three, so I've, I've got some homework. I've got my work cut out for me for sure. Well, uh, beyond uh, the release of uh, The Vision Driven Leader, as you look ahead to the rest of uh, 2020, what are you and your team working on that you're excited about and, and are able to, to share? Well, I think one of the things that we're the most excited about is this one-on-one -on -one coaching thing. It's something that our uh, clients have asked for because group coaching sort of gives you a strategic advantage because you're taught concepts and frameworks and given tools that you can apply to almost any business. But what our clients said is they need more tactical advice for their specific situation. So we're offering something called Business Accelerator One-on-One. -on -one. It's not, not actually going to roll out till the summer. But we've got an early beta group on that and are getting fabulous results. So that's probably the biggest thing on the horizon. We're continuing to expand the Full Focus Planner. We've got some really exciting things uh, coming this fall with that. Some new additions of the planner, a new edition of the journal that's going to be even better than what we've got now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those are just some of the 
some of the things we're doing. Well, I use both uh, the journal and, and the planner. And uh, for about 15 years, I was all digital and uh, couldn't understand why things weren't quite working as well as I thought they would. It wasn't until I went back to an analog planner that things began to really ramp up for me. So I highly recommend both the planner Thank you. Uh, and the journal. Uh, the book, again, is The Vision Driven Leader. Be sure to go to visiondrivenleader.com slash read. As Michael mentioned, take advantage of those bonuses. Michael, thank you so much for your time, for sharing with us about vision today. Really appreciate you coming on the show again. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. In case you forget it, be sure and check out the show notes for that link Michael mentioned where you can get a copy of his book or numerous copies, as I'm doing, and access to over $600 in bonuses. The show notes page can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 312 for episode 312. Conversely, you can head on over to visiondrivenleader.com slash read. Now be sure and save that receipt because when you go to claim your bonuses, you'll be asked to enter your receipt number. That's all you need to do once you've purchased the book to claim all those bonuses. Again, visiondrivenleader.com slash read or readtoleadpodcast.com slash 312. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback for the Read to Lead podcast, I encourage you to reach out to me directly. It's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Next time on the show, we welcome Robbie Kelman Baxter, author of both The Membership Economy and The Forever Transaction. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 